Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel, and thank you for listening. Uh, It's the end of August. A lot of people out on vacation. You know who's not on vacation? Me. I'm here working hard, bringing shows to you. And you know what you can do for me? If you'd like to do anything for me, how about going to our website, clicking on the iTunes link, and giving us a nice rating on iTunes. Maybe say a few nice things. That boosts the presence of the show and helps people find it and uh, increases our audiences. And that would make me very happy. www.traveltalespodcast.com is the website. Travel Tales Pod is our name on Twitter. And if you want to write me, it's Mike at TravelTalesPodcast.com. Enjoy your vacations. And while you're on the road, how about listening to my discussion with Rob Paravonian? Enjoy. She's a successful executive And I have no idea why she's going out with me Because I am a musician and I am a slob She's upper class and I don't have a job She's slumming for a change of pace She's slumming I'm a charity case She's slumming She's trying to break free Instead of getting a tattoo She got me Welcome to the Travel Sales Podcast. I am talking to Rob Paravonian. What is up? Hello. The uh, Let's see. Would you call yourself a troubadour? <laughs> oh, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Traveling comedic troubadour. We've known each other for a long time. Almost 20 years, I would say. Uh, but if you're uh, you know, in the industry, that's 12, right. I think, yeah. <laughs> For uh, industry we were... marriage, that's uh, <laughs> you know, a lifetime, really. Yes. The... Um, so we were roommates in New York. You, we knew we met in Chicago, Chicago doing comedy. Yes, sir. And then we were roommates in New York, and you stayed in New York. You're still in Brooklyn, in the I'm hood. I'm still in Brooklyn, yeah. And you came out here to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Became a star. Right. And you've been crashing on my couch ever since. Yes. <laughs> so originally from Waukegan, Illinois. Waukegan, yes. Home of? Jack Benny and Ray Bradbury. Oh, really? I didn't yes. know about the Ray Bradbury thing. Oh, yeah. His, uh, his, uh, whenever he uses the, ter- the town Greentown, Illinois, in some of his stories, like Dandelion Wine and uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, it's uh, based on Waukegan, Illinois. Really? But Waukegan, Illinois of like the 30s. Yeah. <laughs> so, Pastoral, pleasant. Yes. Uh, with, a, with a thriving downtown and, and a streetcar system. Right. You know? So it's not quite what it is now, but uh, it's a nice town now, just different. What was it like growing up there? Uh, in like the seventies, was it uh, down and out? Um, it didn't seem to be, but maybe it was in retrospect. I don't know. Like, is um, there? Were, it's on. It's on the Great Lakes. It's on Lake Michigan, so it has a lot of you know factories and heavy industry, and uh, those were all closing in the seventies. So um, I guess definitely it had a sort of Rust Belt feel to it. But as a kid, you know, you don't ha- make those comparisons or anything because you've never been anywhere else. So it, it seemed like a normal place to be. Mm-hmm. But uh, for a while there, I think it was a little, uh, a little on the outs, you know. As especially, you know, the interstate system where Gurney, where Great Lakes, or not Great Lakes, uh, where Great, uh, Great America. America, Six and Flags, then, Great America. Yeah, there's a big mall in Gurney, and that's like along the interstate, you know. So, the second half of the 20th century, all the de- development was, you know, along interstates and stuff. So it, it kind of bypassed Waukegan there for a while. But they've done a good job with getting the downtown back together. There's a nice theater down there that they renovated. But yeah, growing up. 
uh yeah it's uh, had had a lot of a lot of factories that were closed or closing you know so it it had that sort of backdrop like it's, a bruce springsteen song <laughs> yeah where's that place where it's like a highway to nowhere oh it? that's downtown waukegan the amstutz the beautiful amstutz expressway <laughs> they were building it when i was a kid and they built uh you know it was supposed to be like join up with lakeshore drive in chicago it was supposed to go all the way up to uh milwaukee It'd be like sort of a lakeshore highway going all the way and uh they built a mile of it in Waukegan down at the lakefront. And I think what they do a lot of times with those kinds of projects, they build it in chunks or in like they build the middle and then they don't build it contiguously. So when they run out of money, they can go to the legislature and say, well, we got to build it to connect it. Otherwise, it's useless. You know, it's right. sort of like, you know, a way to get in. But they didn't do that for a while. So for a good long while, it was just one mile. And I think they extended it another mile. So now it's two miles. But it was great because they, they shot a lot of movies down there because it was really easy to block off. You know, you could block it off and not inconvenience anyone you know right so, yeah, but you so, can't use it at all there's no streets go no you could yeah there's streets that connect to it Uh-oh. but they're like side or they're at the time for a long time they're just sort of side streets so uh yeah it was and so it was easy to block off you know and so groundhog day blues brothers uh even the first uh of the current batman trilogy batman begins they did a little chase scene you know on the amstutz and uh and he jumped the batmobile jumps off an off ramp and then you know goes off into the woods <laughs> so which makes me think you know um Wayne Manor is somewhere in Beach Park Illinois so <laughs> which would be awesome that'd be cool yeah so I don't know. We didn't say what you do exactly. You are a comedian, but you have a guitar. I don't know. You would would you classify yourself a yeah, guitar act or yeah, com- comedian musician? You know, yeah. but you don't do parodies, and I, I always do... respected you for that. Oh, thank you kindly. Yeah, <laughs> I I did when I first started, and I, I worked hard to weed them out at an early you know early stage of the career. So I do my own own music, and uh, I do material about music. But yeah, I would call myself comedian, musical comedian, comedic musician. It's always. <laughs> I think as Henry Phillips has a, a good description of it. And I, I I don't have it word for word, but it's something like a foot in the music room, a foot in the comedy room. So I'm just humping the door or something like that. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> property it, Henry Phillips Enterprises. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, I got to college at I I knew some people from Waukegan at uh, Northern Illinois. Oh yeah, and uh, he was also Armenian. John Hugasian. Oh yeah, Hugi. 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 Yeah. Did you know him? Uh yeah, I knew him. You know, okay. I'm an Armenian from Waukegan, so you kinda have to know all the others, you know, really? in Lake County. Is it a big uh Armenian population there? There was in the uh in the you know, in the twenties and thirties during the depression there was a big Armenian uh population in, in down or in downtown south side of Waukegan. Because being a factory town, there were lots of different immigrant groups there, but there were a fair amount of Waukee, uh, Armenians there. But uh, as I grew up, there were still some in high school, you know, that were my age. But you know, people started as they, uh, I think, moved on. You know, they, right. they moved out out of Waukegan. But there was for a long time. My grandparents, you know, came over from Armenia and they lived down there. And uh, you know, my dad tells me there were you know three different Armenian grocery stores, a couple different Armenian churches and stuff. So for a while. There was definitely a thriving Armenian right. community there. All it takes is one family, and then they send word back that yeah, they, you can get jobs, work here, yeah. and you can crash at our place until you get by. Yeah, my grandparents had a church there in Waukegan, and they you know, hosted a lot of families coming over. Like I, I meet friends of the family, and they'd always tell me, it's like, oh, your grandparents. You know, my, <laughs> when my parents came in, your grandparents helped them find a place to live, got them some furniture, hooked them up with a job. You know, I heard that story a bunch of different times. So. Have you been to Armenia? I have not. My dad went when it was still part of the Soviet Union. So, uh, how did he get in? Um, th- you're allowed. <laughs> the Soviet Union, you could. 
You could, yeah, they they would uh, allow you know tourists. I think he was well. He was also working with uh, he was working with uh, he was a school teacher, but he in the summers he volunteered and worked with this uh, missionary organization that oh. uh, did. Uh, they had some uh, orphanages in uh, Lebanon and a few other places. So I maybe it was on. I mean, I was a kid. So you I got like really, some kind of visa for that. Yeah, I just. I just remember when uh, he had met some cousins or something, and then when he came back, he sent them a care package of like jeans and stuff, and it got sent back to us. And I, you know, I was too—I didn't really know what was going on. And I remember that, like months later, this package coming back to us. My dad was like, "Oh, you know, didn't clear customs or whatever," but I didn't get it. I'm like, "What? They didn't like it? Why didn't they want?" Yeah, you know? it's verboten. Yeah. Did uh, you travel a lot as a kid? Did you guys go around the country or all? Could... Um, yeah, we did. Um, well, my dad would go because he worked with this organization. He would uh, he would tour with the the main uh, preacher man guy uh, and so in the summers he was a school teacher but he had the summers off so two weeks every summer he'd go overseas sometimes he'd been every he went to egypt you know armenia the holy lands a lot so one summer he we took the whole family on a tour of the holy land so it was like seven or eight and oh, we wow. uh, we did israel we went up to you know the sea of galilee jerusalem went to masada which is a cheerful place yeah i did i went there too <laughs> it's hot as hell hot and as hell at the top of a mountain there's not a tree or anything in sight <laughs> yeah baking under the yes. sun and then you know i'm eight years old and they tell you this great story about the the big victory that the jews pulled off was they all killed themselves i'm like what? yeah that sounds awful. Did you hike it up, or there's a cable car? Up, I, we uh, took that. We took the cable car. Yeah, yeah I th- a few adventurous people in our in our uh, group uh, hiked up, but it was it was July, so know. you know it was like a b- jabillion de- de- degrees. <laughs> we went to Jericho, which was also very hot. Some other place out in the desert, which I thought was that was the first place I ever actually saw the Milky Way. Uh, you know, in the in this because it was really dark, and you could actually see like the the cloudy Milky Way part of the sky because we were out in the middle of the desert. You know, no lights anywhere. That was right. really cool. And then um, Dead Sea, which was also hot. (laughs) My impressions are generally, it's a hot-ass place over there. Did you remember it being like scary or dangerous or anything this is like the 70s though yeah yeah it was again my my whole impression was for you know the kid's point of view so i was excited it's like oh look camels that's exciting but i do remember going through checkpoints on the bus and a soldier would come up on the bus and basically just sort of look every up everybody over and basically just racially profile the bus (laughs) and like all right you guys can go through they did that with us too but what they did uh the guy who um ran the missionary organization he was an armenian guy i think he grew up in lebanon he spoke arabic and spoke armenian and he always would hire a palestinian bus driver so and i found this out my mom told me this later but they did that so they can we can go into the palestinian areas and not i guess be as targeted or something but (laughs) but yeah he was i remember the dude he was a very very friendly dude it was cool and um I also remember uh, my sister remembers it better than I do, but at the airport, because, you know, my dad being fully Armenian and being out in the sun for <laughs> two weeks got pretty sporty, you yeah, know, pretty, got pretty, pretty Arabic looking. Uh, yeah. On the way. And so on the way back, they actually at, you know, at security, they took him off to another room to ask him more questions. And my, my sister remembers it really because she was terrified. She started crying and everything. What are they doing? And my dad was really cool about it. No, they're just going to ask me some more questions. Don't worry about it. And sure enough, you know, 10 minutes later, he comes back and like, yep, yeah, see, told you. It's all yeah. cool. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably before the uh, agreement with uh, Egypt, right? The Sadat thing and the um, Jimmy Carter thing. It might have been right around the same it time. It might have been around that time. It was probably 77 or 78. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was a youngin', so, but I was, I was uh, baptized in the Jordan River. So, Were you? Uh, yeah, so, you know, me and Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> was, was your family pretty Jesus-fied? Was it a lot of religion in the house? Yeah, my dad definitely, like my grandparents, you know, founded an Armenian church in Waukegan, uh, Armenian Evangelical Church of Waukegan, which wasn't... 
we didn't go there as a kid. My mom is not Armenian, so when my parents got married, <gasps> yeah, he's, he married an Odar, as they call uh, that means other or stranger or foreigner. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so yeah, we didn't go to an Armenian church because my mom's like, I'm not going to go to a church where I don't understand anything. So we went to a Methodist church. Um, so up until about you know, I went to church every Sunday through about like junior high, early high school and stuff. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of churchiness going on. Is it literally like I don't know? Everyone or like maybe ninety five percent of all Armenian names end in I A N. Yeah, I A N or Y A N because you know it's a different alphabet, so sometimes it's, it's yeah I've seen both uh, spelled differently in English. But yeah, um, does it mean something or does it? It's just saying I've, okay, this is where we're from, and so you have to say it, it in means your name. Like, uh, I think house of or son of oh, okay. or something like that. Um, I, I really should know the literal translation. Well, but. well, like everybody in the <laughs> Scandinavia is S O N. Their name yeah. ends in or something like that. Yeah. You're so, but yeah, it's, it's um, yeah. So, ninety nine percent of the time, you see a, a long, weird name that ends in I A N. It's you know, it's of course, Armenian. the most famous uh, Armenians we have Jakovorkian. Jakovorkian. We uh, have uh, Araparsigian. Yes, uh, the Kardashians. The Kardashians. Uh, Lando Calrissian. <laughs> That's right. He's my favorite. The only black Armenian in <laughs> space. In space. Administ- Baron administrator of Beskin <laughs> City. <laughs> Who else was there? There was the uh, Garo Yepremian, the kicker. Yeah, uh, uh, George Duke Medjian, former governor of California. Right, I remember him. Uh, yeah, there we're out there everywhere. Jackie yeah. Cation, who did this oh, show, fellow comedian. Yeah, yeah. I was, I did a show with her long ago in uh, Minneapolis. She was uh, uh, from Minneapolis, and we were on the same bill way back when. And I remember saying, "It's like this, you know." She's actually from Milwaukee. Oh, that's right. But she was based. Uh, she, was, she did comedy in that's Minneapolis right, all that's the right. time. Yeah, I met yeah. her in the Twin Cities, and yeah, we're like, "All right, this is a uh, two Armenians on one show." Audience, uh, suck it up now. <laughs> but yeah. So, did you uh, take a lot of trips around the U.S. as a kid? Were you campers? Did you no. pile in the station wagon? We did some of the station wagon trips. Yeah, we. Uh, I remember going to. Um, we went to the Carolinas. There's a. Um, we used to go to Myrtle Beach as kids. Oh, we yeah. We went to yeah. a place. It was right on the border of North and South Carolina. I think it was just called Carowinds or something like that. Mm. Um, and we took a trip to California. My mom's uh, had, like, my mom's grand, my mom's dad, I guess that makes it my grandfather. Can you yeah, tell they yeah. didn't get along that well? well? Yeah. My mom's dad. <laughs> we didn't know what to call him. This old dude that my mom knew uh, lived in San Diego. So there was one summer when we came out to California and we uh, we did Christmas in San Diego, uh, El Cajon to be exact, not to brag, and then you know Disneyland, and then drove up to Modesto where one of her brothers lived. So we did like the whole California trip. You drove from Chicago. No, that was, I think we flew to San Diego and then oh, drove okay. up the coast and stopped at, uh, was it Morrow Bay, a place with a big rock in, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. in the bay, yeah, so we did the West Coast. You flew, but getting there is half the fun. Uh, not when well, I think you have <laughs> three yeah. kids. Or don't you want to see the second largest ball of twine, which is only four short hours away? <laughs> I love those, though. Going on the road throughout the States, um, when I have days off between college gigs or something, I've I've seen so many tourist traps, that's... For some reason, really entertaining to me. There's Carhenge in Nebraska. Have you ever I haven't seen, seen or heard that. Of that? Yeah, it's like in the panhandle of Nebraska. And I was driving from, I think, South Dakota to a gig in Colorado. But that's not the Cadillac Ranch. That's like no, a different no. one. No, it's no. A, it's, a, it's a recreation of Stonehenge, but with junk cars painted <laughs> primer gray. <laughs> and so I'm driving down the U.S. highway. You know, it's not an interstate, just a U.S. highway. And it, I see a sign that says, you know, Carhenge, two miles. And I'm like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm uh, stopping there. There's like, no I'm not going to see Carhenge? Exactly. And, it, you know, no, it's, uh, it was lovely. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I love stuff like that. The Spam Museum in uh, Minnesota. It's There's a, a Spam Museum? Yeah, the, one of the Hormel plants, and they have billboards for it, you know, you know, 25 <laughs> miles away. It's like Spam Museum. We're not kidding. It's good. And 
uh, yeah, they had like lots of activities for the kids and spam related uh, activities. Yes, like yeah, like they had little beanbag spams and how fast can you can them? And they had, <laughs> they had a Jeopardy screen. They had a Jeopardy screen where they had like trivia questions about spam, and they would have the audience would be divided in three sections. And I was the only one there, so I was just by myself, and they had to show the video just for me. <laughs> and it was like a Tuesday in the middle of winter, and uh, the guy uh, hosting uh, hosting the video Jeopardy at the Spam Museum uh, now U.S. Senator Al Franken. Oh, really? Because <laughs> he was from that part of Minnesota. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, they That's got hilarious. him to host the uh, Spam trivia, the Spam Jeopardy at the Spam Museum. <laughs> Were things made out of Spam, like like shaped and stuff? No, um, but they had pictures of like Spam all over the, you know, different, you know, creations of Spam and Spam festivals. And oh. yeah, like... Like a like a restaurant? Were they cooking it up? Yeah, yeah. No, they, I didn't... Well, I, I was on my way to a gig, so I didn't get to... Like, I stopped at the gift shop, but I don't think... I don't remember if they had like a spam restaurant or not. But they really uh, love spam in Hawaii. Yeah, their, it's like the big... they're the per capita leader leading spam consumers. I think, I think the, the Navy took it over. I'm sure. I think that's where they got it from, and then they yeah. just they just ran hog wild with it. No, no pun intended. Yeah, I was gonna say not to. Uh... <laughs> I think there's hog in it, right? I, God yeah. knows what is in there. Yes, thing. it's a lot of pork shoulder. And, oh, uh... <laughs> pork everything. Um, have you ever been to um, one? Things I haven't done in, in Dakotas were uh, Mount Drug? Rushmore. Oh, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, it's boring. Yeah, really? <laughs> you know, look, there's the face on the wall and, yeah, and the you, mountain. Yeah, like if and... you see a postcard of Mount Rushmore and then you go to Mount Rushmore to see it in person, it's pretty much the same thing. But what's cooler, because I, I had some shows in the Black Hills, which are lovely, aside from, you know, Mount Rushmore. Um, I was uh, I had a show at Black Hills State University, which is in beautiful Spearfish, South Dakota, wow. and that is twelve miles shy of the Wyoming Bragging. border. Yeah, you know, you dropped a I, name. Whoa, dropping names like. <laughs> yeah. But it's like twelve miles away from the uh, the the Wyoming border, and just over the Wyoming border by about forty five minutes is Devil's Tower, where they shot Close Encounters. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I went to that the next day after Mount Rushmore, and that is really cool. That's probably one of the coolest things I've seen in the United States. So uh, I definitely recommend if you're that part of the country, uh, if you have to choose between one or two, skip Mount Rushmore and go to Devil's Tower. It's 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 a hundred times more interesting. What is Wall Drug? Wall drug. I've it, seen those bumper stickers yeah. all over the damn <laughs> yeah. country. Yeah, they have. They're you know famous for having billboards and you know for it in like you know. It says like Florida. what the heck is wall drug? Or where the heck is wall drug? Yeah, or something. you know, or like a thousand miles to wall drug, or they're you know the ones in Florida are like twenty five hundred <laughs> miles. It's it's basically it's a drugstore that uh, you know it's one of the one of the few stops on the highway back in the day when people would, you know, had to drive the, you know. So it was like an early Walmart. It had everything there you could yeah, get. Yeah, it was mostly, yeah, it was mostly like a travel stop, basically. It's a it's a drugstore, but I think their big thing was they gave out free ice water or five cent ice water back in the day or something. But it, they just, uh, it's since I think the 30s, their business has always been, you know. Bumper stickers. Yeah, and people traveling, you know. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, it's all kinds of tchotchkes and souvenirs. They sell lots of jackalopes, which which uh, oh, just yeah. I, I feel bad every time I see those. They're they're bunny heads, <laughs> mounted taxidermied bub, bunny heads with antlers on them. So not only you know have you killed a bunny, but you've like forever humiliated. It yeah, by, you know putting putting, uh, putting you know antlers, antlers on it, on hanging it. it on your wall. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's still quite the rage, but for a while they seem to be the, the yeah they were the leading exporter of jackalopes. Right? Did you have the? Uh, we used to envy guys from like. Uh, northern suburbs like where you were because at the time growing up like in high school uh wisconsin was still 
19 drinking age. Oh, I, yeah, I missed that. My older sister. I missed it. I got yeah. grandfathered, and I missed it by a month and a half. Oh, really? I was so pissed. It happened while I was in college, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, DeKalb wasn't that far from... No, that was the, the problem. De- I, demilitarized zone. Of, yes, because we could always just... <laughs> was it Beloit? That's right above you? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. or Janesville and all that oh, stuff. right, right, right. So it would be like, uh, oh, man, well, we're not legal here, but at least there's always Wisconsin. Yeah. And then they... You know, Reagan, thanks. <laughs> Made the whole country go to 21, and we were just like, oh, damn yeah, it. It was part of like a highway bill or something. Yeah. But you, yeah, my sister, my oldest sister, when she was in high school, yeah, she could go up to, um, she can go, which is great. What you, you want 18 year olds driving a half an hour to go get liquored up and the then blood border, home. they yeah, called it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Kenosha, which was the town in Wisconsin, just north, like if you went all straight bars. north. Yeah. Right on, like, you know, like the Nevada border has all the casinos, like right up on the state line. You know, Kenosha <laughs> yeah. had bars and just, yeah, I can't imagine as a parent, like just knowing when your kid gets in the car, that would just be terrible. So well, here we just have Mexico. <laughs> but at least there's that fear of like, oh man, if I get busted down there, what's going to happen? Yeah, and also it takes time to get into and out of Mexico. Yeah, you know, I it's mean, like it's, it's a little bit more. You can't, you know, you can go on a whim, I guess, but it takes more doing than just driving 20 minutes. And you know, a state line is not that hard to cross. Right? Did um, did you go anywhere else? Have you hit all 50 states? I have. Yeah, actually, I, was, I'm down to about 45. I think I got. Yeah. And I, Wyoming's one of them I haven't been to. Oh, Wyoming yeah? and Montana. Uh, they're both beautiful. I, I like Montana quite a bit. Over the years, some uh, there's a couple of colleges in Montana that really dug me. Um, there were two summers in a row where I did like a summer orientation for the students, like right in the middle of June in Montana. And um, the guy who ran the student activities thing, it was, and it was the kind of thing where the show was on a Monday, so I'd have to fly out on a Saturday because the difference in the flight price was like $500. So like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, it's cheaper to spend two extra days in Montana. Also, it's nice there. So, um, so the guy who's a student activities dude, it was a summer. It was kind of slow. Um, the first time I went out there, he's like, yeah, I got some friends. We'll organize, you know, we'll do a, we'll do a raft trip. So he goes and rents, you know, the equipment through the school cause they had, and yeah, I remember like waking up in Brooklyn, taking the car service to the airport. And then as soon as I landed, I dropped my stuff off at the hotel and, you know, changed. And then I'm on a raft in, the, you know, in the Yellowstone <laughs> river. And it just like, like wow, with, this morning I, I woke up in Brooklyn. Yeah. And there's like nobody around. And it's like, there are fewer people in this state than, you know, this state, which is, you know, the third of the size of, I don't know. It's what is it? The Montana's like the third largest or fourth largest state. Uh, and there's Wyoming and. You know, because it's, yeah, it's Alaska, yeah, yeah. then Texas, then maybe uh, Montana, then California. Or Col- yeah. What's around there? Wyoming's the square one, right? Yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, Montana is after that. Alaska, Texas, California, Wyoming. Yeah, so what is are the right? other states that you haven't been to? You said Wyoming's one of them, uh, Montana. Wyoming, Montana, and then uh, Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. Oh, yeah. Those are, yeah, we were saying you could just. I can knock those out in a day. You could do that in an afternoon. (laughs) I mean, Maine is deceptively huge. Maine is actually a big state, but like you could hit the other two if you just stay by like Portsmouth down in the, or Portland, I'm sorry. Uh, Portsmouth is what, New Hampshire? Portsmouth, yeah. Uh, But yeah, uh, I've done some shows up in Maine. There's this place called uh, Machias, which. I had a show the next night in Boston. I told them I was in Machias, and they're like, "Ah, oh, that's Wicked Fire. <laughs> that's Wicked Fire." Uh, yeah, Machias, Maine. That was uh, in the down east, and that was like forty-five minutes shy of New Brunswick. You know, that's oh, how yeah. like up there it is. Uh, that was lovely. A lot of lobster. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, they have they have it everywhere up there. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. right now I guess they have a bumper crop where they're just like throwing it at you and giving it giving it away free, like lobster with your you know milkshakes. Is there one state that's like once you hear, let's say, you book a gig there? you go oh that state again it's like bad mojo like bad shit happens to you whether it's weather or something 
or bad shows or just like some state you just go, oh, no, not there again. Well, there are parts of states. Anything around Wheeling, West Virginia, I, I dread. <laughs> West Virginia is bizarre. Yeah, I, the parts of it are gorgeous. Oh, no, it's know? beautiful and, physically. And, I mean, and there, are, and... there are parts that I really like about it. One of my first shows in West Virginia was at this really hippie-ish college where everyone was like just outdoorsy and granola and cool. And it was, you know, totally went against what I expected out of West Virginia. But Wheeling... Um, Amplifies everything I ever expected. Yeah. Like I really, for it's some all hillbillies. reason, that little chunk of West Virginia that stuck between Ohio and I don't know uh, yeah, that to me just is a weird like. And maybe it's just because the shows I've had there have just been unpleasant and weird. But yeah, that's that's like, a place I, I would I would if he's like, hey, guess what? We got a great gig <laughs> for you in Wheeling. I'm like, um, I think I just quit comedy. <laughs> right, right. Is there like I don't know? Do you see it as um? You just getting older and maybe a little more, I don't know, tired of traveling? Do you want to stay home more? Or? I, I kind of do. I still like I, I still like exploring, but I think something about like when I did – Hawaii was the last state I hadn't been to, and I, it was two years ago. Just about two years ago, I booked a show there, a college gig, and I there – there is such like a sense of accomplishment about that, you know, so I almost feel like it's like, all right, I'm done. Yeah, I've done know, this country. And uh, – but I, I still like to do it, and there's parts of the country that I haven't been to in a while. Like, I haven't been to the Northwest in a while, and I really liked my – when I was first on the road, I did a, a NACA conference, and NACA is like a college uh, you know, a college student activities you know, organization. They have regional conferences, so I performed at a regional conference in Seattle, and that led to getting a lot of gigs in Oregon, Washington, Alaska, and Idaho, and Yeah, Montana. I remember you were always going over there. Yeah, my it's first just a pain in the years. ass to fly to. It's just, yeah, so it's you far. have to like get blocks of shows. You can't just go there for like one show and then come back. But my first trip through the Northwest, I think I had twelve shows over like seventeen or eighteen days. So I had a lot Eesh. of shows, but I had a lot of days off in between. So I just got to explore, and I really like having those days off here and there. Where and that's another that's the thing I don't like about GPS. You know, when you have the big giant road atlas and you have a day off and you could you have to browse and look like, what do I want to see? And, you know, you do mm-hmm. like find cool things. Whereas if you just put in, I'm, I, I need to go here tomorrow, it's just going to take you straight there. And that's, I don't know, boring to me. Can you think of like one roadside attraction that you in a million years never thought yours, you would be there and then you got there and like, this is this is awesome. This is kind of cool. Um, I really liked. Well, I. I I liked the uh, the American Gothic house. I, I found that. Where is it, that? It's in Iowa, actually. Okay. It's well, uh, like makes cent- sense. central Iowa, and it was another thing. I was driving. I had time before, you know, I didn't. I had time to get to my next gig, and I saw a sign. It said American Gothic House, twenty miles, and it was off of a. I was on a U.S. highway, so I had to go on an even smaller. But I'm like, all right, I, I want to see that. Uh, but it was again. It was winter, so the gift shop and nothing was open, and there was no one there to take pictures i was by myself so i tried to do the old hold the arm out and take a picture of myself in front of the house didn't quite get it <laughs> but during the you know the summer they have people there you know you can buy a picture of yourself you know they have it set up just like the they give you the stuff. the costumes and the in the pitchfork yeah that would have been cool i would have just held my guitar <laughs> yeah know, that's which pretty cool. cool but that was pretty cool the field of dreams which is also in iowa that was that was kind of fun to see um, it's just on some guy's property, right? It's just like, yeah. It actually that field covers two different people's property, and there's a con- there's a controversy about oh. it because for the film they wanted to put the field in a certain place. So third base was on another guy's property. So the people that own the house that they used to um, they uh, they owned most of the field, and then when the movie was over, the the family that owned the third base side plowed it over again to like plant corn again, and then. Someone, like a group of investors, bought the third base side and made the field again. 
but then there were competing gift shops. There was the third yeah. base side gift shop and the, the first base side gift shop. And there was a sign going in that said, all right, the first base side gift shop is owned by the people that own the house and the money goes to help them upkeep the field and whatnot. And the third base side is owned by a group of out-of-state investors who are just trying to make profit. You know, So just buying a postcard there turned out to be like a, you had to make a political statement. Oh, no. Just buying a postcard at the Field of Dreams. <laughs> Did they let you run on it and yeah, yeah. play ball? That'd be fun. Yeah, I was, uh, there was, again, because like, I, I travel mostly during the school year, so it's like not like the off-peak summer. So I, I see all these attractions when they're desolate and depressed. But, yeah. you know, it's, it was still pretty cool. I'm trying to think if there was one state that just didn't work for comedy. Uh Louisiana, I always found kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, just well, at least New Orleans. It's just not a comedy town. There's I just, too much ever, else to do. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's, they they just never been able to make a, a club work down there. It seems. Yeah, I I, I can't just imagine. Like, people, we're about music and maybe football. Yeah, and that's it. And how do you have patience to sit and watch someone for an hour and a half when you know, like you know, like yeah, there's, there's an entire party going on downsta- <laughs> you know, downstairs. Every every two feet, there's beads, frozen <laughs> yeah. drinks, and boobs. Exactly. <laughs> Did do you find where in Hawaii did you work? Um, uh, BYU Hawaii, so it was a, oh. a lovely Mormon college on the North Shore, in, but they're on the North Shore of Oahu, which oh. is just gorgeous. And um, it was a, they were super nice there, and they they put me up for two days on the North Shore because they want you to fly in a day early because it takes some doing to get to Hawaii. Oh, it turns out, so and I flew far. from New York, so you know it's what's like five thousand miles from New York. It's five hours from here, yeah, from LA. So yeah. it, it's like we're halfway. It's yeah, it was, but it was so worth going. And so I went, and the gig was actually on my birthday too years ago so oh, it was sweet. uh and so i went out a week early i did two days in uh honolulu like waikiki beach and then i did i went to maui for three days because i want to bring a lady do... with you uh no i was by myself oh man yeah because uh, tough being solo in hawaii especially well, maui it's like all honeymooners walking around well, holding hands what, when i went on to yelp that was my thing for like every restaurant it's like romantic next romantic yeah. next my husband and i next you know <laughs> but it got to the point where i was just like all right i gotta roll with it and so uh you know, waiters would ask, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm on my honeymoon. They see the empty seat next to me. It's like, it's not really working out. <laughs> yeah. It's really forgetting Sarah Marshall stuff. Right. You know, like, wait, but you're here alone? The place you're I here stayed, by yourself? The place Table I, for one? The place I stayed for the uh, gig at BYU was uh, Turtle Bay, where uh, they shot forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was at that. That was where they, because uh, BYU Hawaii is in Laia, which is right next to like Turtle Bay. And um, it was cool, though, for that, you know, there were college students and they, they took me around and showed me around like the local spots and whatnot, which was fun. So like, yeah, I didn't feel totally fun or Mormon fun. It was it was Mormon <laughs> fun, which can be fun. Come on. There's well, wholesome fun. to okay. be had. In no this alcohol, no coffee. No. Um, but I, they did have, I, you know, on campus, I did get as all the caffeine free Coke I could drink. <laughs> yeah, was, no, they were they were super nice. And um, yeah, the North Shore is, was lovely. A lot of like little shrimp like farms, you know, and they have like along the highway, there's like shrimp shacks mm-hmm. where they have, you know, the shrimp pools and shrimp farms. And so they make it up fresh. That was really cool. Um, I had the lo- locomo. Loc- Locomoco. Yeah, the Locomoco. Uh, yeah, the uh, the breakfast, you know, pile of rice. It's with gravy or something, Yeah, right? it's, it's rice, scrambled eggs, gravy, and a burger patty just in a big styrofoam plate. <laughs> and and that's your meal for the next three days. Yeah, and the one where they're big, giant Samoan people, <laughs> 400 pounds. 
Did yeah. you did you go into the water at all? Did you surf uh, or try? I, I am not a. I played in the water. Yeah, I, I like me some water, but I, I I I tried surfing. You know, twenty years ago when I was in college, and you know, it didn't work out. So well. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. But in uh, on the North Shore, it, I think it's Waimea Bay, Waimea, mm-hmm. um, where they do the pipeline thing in the winter. Um, there are these rocks there that are about 15 there's this rock formation that's like 15 feet high and it's like a popular spot to like jump off the rocks into the water and uh, that was awesome uh, that was really fun although you know I'm on the beach I'm like oh I'm totally going to do that I'm totally going to do that because <laughs> you see like kids like 12 year olds jumping off of it and then you get up there I was you know it's like wow this is way higher than it looks yeah. from the beach but you, you know by the time you get up there you can't wimp out because you know 12 year old you know Japanese tourist girls are doing it you know and you know once it, it's Oh, it was great. The water was just so warm and clear. That's and just, beautiful. Yeah, I loved, loved, loved it. Saw some, saw some turtles. Oh, yeah. And I did a snorkeling trip uh, when I was in Maui um, on a little catamaran thing. So, like, they take you out. And they actually, for part of the trip, they turn off the motors and actually, you know, sail on, you know, which was really cool to be on this big. Because those catamarans, they, they move pretty quick. Oh, so. yeah. They're fast. Yeah. So, that, that, was, that was pretty cool. The, um, I remember being out there and just thinking... I remember going to a beach because I'm a pretty good swimmer. You know, I've, I love going like body surfing and stuff like that. Yeah, Hawaii was the only place I went to a beach, and it was the locals' beach, and the waves were so frightening and big that I didn't even want to just go into my waist. You know, <laughs> oh, it was really? just like they were crashing really close to oh, just right st- on the. Oh, and yeah. these guys were just riding boogie boards right up to it, and I, I was scared. Yeah, it was just like, and it's. I wasn't even going far out. It was just like, oh, this is this is hard. Yeah. Well, where I jumped off the rock, uh, you know, the hardest part was actually getting onto the shore for a, like once you swim in, and the waves weren't even anything to them, you know, because like I said, like yeah. in the winter, this is where they do the pipeline. But you know the way, and they they did that where they just broke right on the shore. So you're like swimming in, swimming in, and then you catch that wave that pretty much just drops you like yeah, right slams on you the into the beach. Head. So you just got to sort of yeah, it was totally worth it though. But you uh, you've also performed overseas. Yeah, you did a USO thing. I did um, not technically through the USO, but I did uh, shows in Afghanistan at military bases through uh, with. Um, uh, has Mike Burton been on the show? He has or? not. Okay, but no, Graham, who also Graham has been. Yeah, he. It was the same tour that he was on. So, yeah, it was. Uh, we started in Kabul, uh, no, in uh, Bagram, which is the main air base in and out. Uh, did like three or four shows on that base. Did a, a bunch of shows around Kabul, and then we did three uh, bases, like sort of in the eastern eastern region. And this was 2005, so at the time it wasn't as dangerous as it as it is now. I mean, the South I think has always been pretty dangerous, but where we were is a little more dangerous. Now we were one of the shows was uh, in Coast Province, and um, is that a province or a city? Coast K H O S T I think is how we spell it. Um, Coast one hundred four. Yeah. Well, what are easy the, listening? The flight. The one of the guys had this cool patch. It was called East Coast Choppers. You know, because he was a <laughs> chopper pilot. I'm like, oh, that's pretty badass. But that's that one was pretty close to Pakistan. You know, so it was like in the east. You know, and that that base was one of the bases where they actually had like special forces guys who went out and did stuff. Did you ride in the uh, Black Hawk? Yeah, I was in a, a couple Chinook rides and a couple Black Hawk rides too. So the Chinook ride was the first one going from. Uh, going from Bagram down to one of the bases, and they fly at night. And um, and they're basically the size of, like, a city bus or, like, a big, you know, big giant cargo unit. And so they fit about 30 people, and you sit along the, the sides, and they have cargo in the middle. 
and uh, they fly with the back, you know, the, the, the loading door that just, you know, folds down. They fly with that open, and they have a, a machine gun mounted on the back. They have, two, they have a machine gun on each side, gunners on each side, and then a machine gun mounted on that door that folds down. And there's a guy manning the gun and a spotter, and they have their night vision goggles, and they're looking, you know, out on the ground and as you're flying around. And I just remember, you know, I was sitting sort of towards the back, and I was just – I'm like, all right, as long as that guy – doesn't have anything to do i'm i'm yeah. happy you know because people are like are you scared i'm like if he started like if that guy started doing things then i was going to be scared because that means there was there was something to be concerned about but yeah like just, you never want to see your even on a regular flight you never want to see the flight attendants running fast or <laughs> right, moving right. you don't want to see anybody moving fast and that can't be good yeah it so, never be good so as long as he's got his feet crossed and the spotter's kind of not freaking out and pointing out things i'm like all right i think why would know, they fly with the door open it doesn't make well, sense. Well, just to, to have me. that extra extra gun on the back, you know. And there there were es- escort, you know, the what are they, the Cobras or the Apaches? One of the, like, the Apaches. One, one of the ones that's just basically flying flying missile launcher, you yeah. know. And like they had two of those, one on each side, and those fly at night. And actually, the Chinooks, even though they're big, um, they're about as fast as some of the, or that's what they told me that they're as fast as the other because they have like a jet engine, you know, on the back too, and they're they're deceptively fast. And then we took Blackhawks where where during the day. Um, to a couple bases, and those only hold about nine nine people. And um, then one of the Blackhawk flights, uh, I actually was sitting in a, in a seat that had you know the headphones, so I got to listen to the pilots and stuff. And one of the pilots was a, a little bit younger, and the older pilot was sort of training him and talking about, now, all right, if uh, you know a missile comes in from the left, which side do you uh, deploy the flares on? And he's, he's like, uh, the left. Uh, because you sort of turn toward, you kind of turn a little bit toward the missile is what I learned because you don't want to show your engines because they're heat seeking. So if you turn away, they, the, the missile just lock on to you. Yeah. So you kind of turn towards it, deploy the flare. So the missile goes over after the <laughs> flare. So I, I learned that, which might come in handy uh, someday <laughs> if ever I am being chased Install by Install one of those on the old <laughs> Honda. Yeah. <laughs> Did, uh, Talking to the soldiers and and just like being there on the bases and stuff, did it change your opinion on, I don't know, policies and war and everything else? What did you learn going over there? Um, I learned that there were a lot of guard units <laughs> deployed, that's for sure. Like I met so many National Guard units and pe- you know people from – we were on one base when uh, like the Indiana – group I think was rotating out and the Florida group was rotating in so it was I was sort of struck by you know by how many guard units were over there it was seemed like I don't know and it might have just been the bases I was at but it was just it was a lot you know it seemed like we taught growing up that the National Guard was there to be in uh, U.S. to to guard the nation to guard our nation (laughs) if any shit went down you know if we were attacked you know when the yeah. aliens came. Yeah, right. Or you know, a flood. <laughs> Red Dawn. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, floods or yeah. disasters and stuff like that. But yeah, it just that just seems like uh, not what they were intended to be, right? Yeah, I talked to one guy. Uh, there was from a guard unit in Texas, and that was at a, a base. I think it was a base called Gardez, and he had been he a career guards guy, guardsman. Um, he had been in almost 20 years and he had been deployed for like at least five full years overseas, and like from uh, like. Croatia or, you know, Yugoslavia, the first Gulf War and like a couple different times during, you know, the last 10 years. So, you know, out of 20 years being spending five years overseas, that's that's as much as a lot of full time guys. Yeah. So that was that was pretty surprising to me. But, you know, I grew up in my town. A lot of people I grew up with, you know, went into the military. So for me, it was just I wanted to, you know, just sort of entertain them, you know, and the one of the bases we were kind of stuck at for a couple of days waiting for our Chinook ride, you know, because we weren't the highest priority, you know, travelers, you know, going on, to... You're entertainers. You're telling me you're not highest priority? <laughs> well, they told us our, our level, like, because they have the different levels of... Um, 
you know, who can bump whom on, you know, their gold, silver, diamond, I don't know, status. Yeah. And so I think we were on the level of maybe a colonel or a, or a, a captain, I think. So we could get bumped, but we could... And I felt bad. I was like, oh, we could bump like a sergeant. That's not cool. But, <laughs> but, He's an enlisted man. The hell with him. Yeah, so... Uh, but where was one base we were at? We were, ended up being there like an extra day. It was one of the really small bases, too. And uh, because, you know, one of the chopper rides, we, it was full and we had to wait a while. So we kept seeing some of the guys at this base and they're like, oh, you're still here, huh? It's like, yeah, we've been, you know, stuck here for a day and a half. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know if we said or someone said something else. Yeah, it's uh, kind of slow around here, a little bit boring. He's like, that's why we like when sh- they, when we have shows, <laughs> you know, it's like this is all year. And they, it was interesting because they said anything that makes one day different, you know, from the other days is is welcome. So it made, you know, definitely made me you know, happy for having done it because they definitely appreciated it. But it was, it sort of gave me a, a very tiny glimpse into, you know, what sort of life on, on base is like, you know, and it seems like it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of downtime and it can be really boring. And then there's moments of just, you know, that are really scary. Terror. Yeah. And luckily we didn't experience in anything that scary, but you know, the, a lot of the bases we were at, there'd be like, you know, on the, door to the dining facility there'd be like a, a broken like rocket shell it's like oh yeah th- you know from six months ago you know there was a rocket attack and this is you know so we you know mounted it up on the wall and stuff so <laughs> any good souvenirs from the trip i did I, I have a couple i have a couple of mugs from bagram <laughs> and bagram is such a big base you know they had a, there was a freaking dairy queen on the base at bagram and a a, a burger king is and, bagram in afghanistan or is it yeah in- bagram is about um 30 miles um northwest or west of Kabul and it was the main Soviet air base there so we took it over and became... And that worked out well for them. Yeah. So so, uh, so we we use it as <laughs> we'll our step main. in take that one now. Yeah, well, at least we didn't have to build it, you know, but yeah, yeah it's uh, and there's there are a lot of international troops there too. We saw troops from, you know, I saw troops from South Korea. There's actually there's a really cute girls uh, part of the the Dutch uh-huh. Dutch deployment. And they also have there was the the people who were fighting and then there's they call it the ISAF the International Security and Assistance Force which like is more the humanitarian uh and speaking of Russia there was one we were on a, a convoy a road convoy from uh Bagram to Kabul and uh, a Russian uh convoy was going by trucks you know delivering aid and on the trucks it said you know it's stamped in English it was like uh, humanitarian assistance from the people of Russia or something. It was like spelled out like this really long sentence. It basically said, we're not here fighting anymore. We're bringing food this time. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was like, it was, and it was like 20 trucks blew by us. Um, but yeah, I got one souvenir and I it shouldn't have taken, well, it's a, Gardez, the base, the first Chinook flight where we landed at on the... Uh, the um, it's a drone. You stole a drone. I did. I, I fly it around <laughs> in New York for fun in Prospect Park. No, it was. I found on the ground a shell, a spent, uh, empty shell casing from a fifty millimeter gun, and it was like on the you know gravel area where the uh, helicopters land, and um, and so I just picked it up on a whim and put it in my pocket, and then I'm like, you can't take those out of the of the base, um, but our uh, our uh, security guy, our security detail, he he used to work at the customs thing, and he said, well. They can look through your luggage, the customs at going out of uh, Afghanistan. They, they can look through your luggage, but they can't look through your person, you know. So I had just put it in my pocket. But then when we got to Germany, I was going on an airplane, you know, commercial flight. So oh, I had so this had chunk of the, metal. Yeah. And so what I did, I, I took it out of my pocket and put it in my 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 bag thinking like, all right, to the German airport, this is just a piece of metal. It's a spent shell. It's not dangerous. And um, 
And so when the guy, the German dude's looking through my, because they saw it on the x-ray and he pulls it out and looks at it. And I don't know what was going through his mind, but he pulls out this, you know, it's a spent shell casing. Like I said, not dangerous, just a piece <laughs> of metal. But he just looks at it, kind of smirks and looks at me and, and puts it back in and zips it up. I'm like, all right, I don't know what that means, but I get to keep it. So, mm-hmm. so I, I hope no one arrests me for Maybe that. Maybe you shouldn't have put it in your bag of marijuana. Maybe oh, that, was, that was a bad choice. <laughs> well, I thought putting the, putting the hashish inside the spent <laughs> shell casing, they'd be so distracted by the shell casing. Right. They would not see... <laughs> was it Afghanistan where they um, – it's where the heroin comes yeah, from, right? Yeah, poppy but- fields. Yeah, that's a big uh, thing that – you know, we didn't see any because we were there in uh, July. So, Ooh, what um, was the temperature? What's Afghanistan like in July? Um, it's uh, hot and dusty. It was so, That's actually when I cut my hair short. I used to have shaggy hair, and um, I was there like a day, and it's like Kabul and, and Bagram are like – they're really high. The elevation is like 7,000 feet or so, 5,000 feet, and it's just high desert. It's so dry and dusty. So it was like 100 degrees plus. Um, you know, but that dry heat, but it was just so dusty that like one day I couldn't get a comb through my hair because it was just, and I was like, well, I guess I don't need to look attractive here. And I, I went to the base barber and just got it all buzzed off. And I ended up kind of liking the way it looks. So I've been, uh, I've been clean cut ever since. And plus they don't need any long hair hippies on their base, <laughs> right? you know, draw attention to yourself. How yeah. did the shows go over? They were fun. Yeah, we did. Uh, we, uh, some were like one of the bases we went to was a really small base, and uh, there were only like 30, 40 people that were off duty at the time to come see a show. And that was just in a conference room with no amp, you know, and uh, that was really fun. And then a couple of the shows, like a couple, one of the shows at Bagram was in a big like place with the stage and everything. We did one show in the in the jock, which is called the Joint Operations Command Center. And that's if you ever see like a, a movie like Black Hawk Down or something where there's the generals and all the people with all the, the screens, like the, all the, the movie maps screens. Everywhere. Yeah. That's called. That's we did a show in there, and um, and it's because they said because the people that work the night shift at the jock never don't have can't see the shows because they're working at night. They wanted to try to do a show in in there, so they still have to have some of the some of the maps going. And and they they told us before the show like if a phone rings or the phones are going to be ringing throughout the show, people have to you know have to do their thing, and if something happens. Then we'll just escort you out, and you know, just be ready that that might you know, might be the case. We might have to just shut the show just down say, abruptly. Could, could you at least give me like a five minute light because I have a big closer? <laughs> right. I know there's a war happening, but I got a big finish, and I'd hate to leave right. it. Right. Damn you, Navy SEALs! How dare you? <laughs> how dare I'm halfway you? through my airplane piece? How dare you interrupt my Pachelbel bit? <laughs> you know. So, uh, so they told us that, and so uh, when I was performing, it wasn't really a stage. You're down, kind of in the pit, you know. And um, this guy comes in. And immediately you could see everyone turns to see, you know, all right, this is someone important because everyone's concerned about what he has to say. <laughs> he leaned over and talked to somebody for a couple minutes. And then he ended up leaving and people sort of started going, you know, paying attention to the show again. It turns out he was the general's, the main general there was his aide de camp. And uh, I don't know what it was about. It wasn't anything important or whatever. But yeah, you could definitely tell like sort of the hierarchy because I didn't even see the guy's insignia or Mark, mm-hmm. you know, but you could tell like by, by the way, everyone like, oh, crap, he's in here. What's going on? You know, you <laughs> yeah. just tell the sort of structure of the place. But that was that was really fascinating. Because I talked to, you know, when some of the other soldiers and stuff were asking, you know, well, where are you doing shows? Like, oh, we did a show on the jock last night. But what? It's like, I don't even know where that is. That's like secret, you know, not secret, but that's like you have to have a high level to get in there. And it made me feel kind of cool. Yeah. Well, I'm a high level comedian. That's yes. What you know, my. <laughs> I have clearance. Yes. I, I was trained. I, I did my open miking with the Treadstone Project <laughs> uh, with Jason Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not touring as much anymore. 
No, yeah, not as much. Maybe not by choice, but, but you're... Half and half, yeah. Okay. But uh, you live in Brooklyn still. Yeah. Yes. Brooklyn, and you got me a nice uh, souvenir when you came. Ah, uh, yes, a Brooklyn Nets uh, a t-shirt. A new Brooklyn Nets t-shirt. Yes. Uh, I live about a mile from the where the stadium is, so... And it's uh, finished. It's ready to go. Um, I think there's a little spit and polish that might uh, need to be done, but it looks, yeah, it looks like it's they're going to be ready. I think the first game is the big, like... The first week of November, and then before that, there's a con- I think it's a Jay Z concert that's kicking off the the uh, opening of the uh, Barclays Center, as they're calling is it. Is that what it is, Barclays Bank? Yeah, and so now, and even the subway announcements are changing. To instead, oh. it used to be Atlantic Pacific Stop, and now it's at, at um, you know Atlantic Street Barclays Center, which is throwing me off. Uh, but Barclays just had that big issue where they conf- you know pleaded guilty or paid a fine for uh, the Libor. Uh, yeah, they're manipulating the interest rates. So yeah, I think they need to work that into the theme of the stadium. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like manipulate the the beer price or something. Yeah. <laughs> I well, I mean, it, it, it's got to be great for the the neighborhood. I mean, is Brooklyn still considered the fourth largest city in America? Or I I don't know population wise. It, it it I just remember the opening the, the opening Welcome credits of Welcome yeah. Back Cotter and always said that. <laughs> Welcome to Brooklyn. In the fourth largest city in America. Yeah, it, it, population-wise, like yeah. two million I mean, people, right? Yeah, Queens is bigger by size, but I think it might be. Although, I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely becoming more precious in that Portlandia kind of way. I think there could be a spin-off series, Brooklandia, because it's... it's well, our old neighborhood Park Slope is ridiculous oh, yeah, now. Yeah, I got priced out of there long... Like, one year <laughs> after you left, I got priced out of that zone, and, uh, yeah, the gentrification wave has been chasing me around. Uh, but I'm kind of... I'm, I've set up... I've planted my flag in Prospect Heights now because i got a rent-stabilized joint, so... Oh. Otherwise, I'd, I'd be in... Probably it would have been priced out to, you know, Hicksville by now. Well, people ask me about... Uh, you know, segregated cities, and you think about it, and everybody always says Chicago was very segregated, and Milwaukee was very segregated. Boston. And you think about it, all U.S. cities pretty much are pretty segregated, and most cities everywhere are, and New York, one of the reasons it's not, I think, A, is because it's so concentrated and everybody's on yeah. top of each other, but B, is rent control. You know, if there was not that, you would be priced yeah. out, and most so would a lot of people, you yeah. know, and then you'd have, like... You know, only the neighborhoods that rich white people could afford to live in, and then that's it. Yeah. I mean, Manhattan's kind of getting that way, but Manhattan would be completely like that if it wasn't for rent control. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my neighborhood uh, is was mostly Haitian, Jamaican, and yeah, it's like it's one of those neighborhoods where the uh, it's either – you know, younger, like 20-somethings, late 20s, you know, first first maybe career job. And, you know, they move out to Brooklyn because Manhattan's too expensive. And then there's also the uh, the, the couples that, that need a little bit more space to have kids. So, like, my neighborhood's <laughs> starting to see some strollers come out, and that's always, you know. But, you know, neighborhood, city neighborhoods are always changing one way or another, you know. So it's not like they, I mean, they never stay the same, you know. It's, you know... There's waves of immigrants, you know, of whatever, you know. Yeah. Lower East Side was was Jewish, and then it was Puerto Rican, and now it's you know annoying party party goers, <laughs> yeah. hipsters. Yeah. Did uh, okay. Give, before we leave, give me your worst flight experience. Hmm. Let's see. Whether it was a scary flight or just they chewed up your. You travel with a guitar did yeah. they ever trash it or um, ever get it busted my guitar has been busted a few times and um <laughs> that's always the trick is uh like some people say oh, i'll just carry it on but you see the way like especially now with uh luggage restrictions and fees the way people cram crap in the overhead bin yes, i don't want my I guitar do. up there any more than i want it in the cargo hold so but it gets lost uh it gets lost pretty regularly because 
they always take it and set it aside. They're like, oh, we have to be careful with this one. But sometimes setting it aside means it doesn't make the flight. <laughs> yeah. And so it's happened so many times that I actually, you know, whenever you lose your luggage, they pull out a little chart that says identify your bag and they have a number code for each different kind of bag. If it's a duffel bag, it's this. If it's a hard shell something case, if it's a foot locker. So an instrument case is 85. And you know, it's it's the standard on every uh, yeah. So when they fill it airline. out, that's their code. When they say look for a bag, and so when they say when they just reach for the chart, when my my uh, my guitar gets lost, they just reach for the chart, and I just say eighty five black. They're like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Because they don't recognize the number because it doesn't come up much. And they're like, no, you have to look at the chart to see what. I'm like, no, eighty five black. And they're like, wait a minute. And then they look at the chart and see, you know, guitar. Oh, oh this has happened before. I'm like, yes, it has. <laughs> now find my damn guitar. Did it never make the show? Has that ever happened? Um, no, uh, luckily the times that it's happened, I, I usually try to fly in early, you know, for if I'm flying the day of the show and I even look, uh, to see if there's a later flight coming into that airport, you know, because, you know, sometimes the connections are 45 minutes, like at O'Hare or Dallas. And yeah. You know, you know, the bag's not going to make it. Yeah. Or sometimes you, or don't, you don't make it. it. Yeah. yeah. So like I always, depending look, on the gate, it's like Dallas or you got to get on that people mover or something. And yeah. it's like, Oh no, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. So I always make sure that I'm not on the last flight into that city, you know, cause like, Oh, I could land at five. The show's at eight. I have plenty of time. Like, no, I'd rather land at noon knowing there's a, another flight afterwards. And that's what happened once in Atlanta. I actually saw my guitar not make a flight cause it was a real tight connection and I'm sitting in a window seat on a propeller thing going from Atlanta to uh, Pensacola, not to brag. Oh, and, um, I played there. Yeah, and... Uh, at an Air Force base, actually. Really? I was at yeah, a Western... Tyndall Air Force base, I think. Lovely name. That's, um, yeah, it's in... Yeah, that is in Why Pensacola. was a gig at an Air Force base? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was, on, I was in the window seat, and I, I knew my guitar was going to be, like, last on, and it was a small plane, and I'm watching them load. I don't see the guitar. I don't see the guitar. I see, I see a, a luggage, you know, truck coming, and it's coming, it's coming. They shut the door, the, the propellers start, and I see the luggage truck stop. See, the, the, see that the propellers have started, and it turns around. And as it turns around, I see the open, I see my guitar on the open thing. And I'm looking <laughs> you out your, the window. You get your nose pressed in the window. No. Oh, yeah, I'm looking out the window, and I said the F word really loud. I'm like, ah! And there was an old lady sitting next to me, and she looks at me, and she's like, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm looking out the window at the engine and I'm screaming, you know, yeah. and she's like, what's going on? And I tried to, I'm, I didn't want her to be, I'm like, oh, my guitar just missed the flight. And she just very calmly said, uh, there's a four o'clock fight. It'll make that one. You know? I'm like, oh, thank you. But thank, you don't understand. Thank you. Thank you, elderly woman who obviously flies here a lot. <laughs> you yeah. Know? But yeah, that's, that was stressful. Is there, was there one airline that you just said, I'm never flying these guys again? Um, yeah. What was it? It was Big, Big Sky Airlines. Okay. Um, I flew from Denver to to uh, Billings, and it was one of those, I was on this long trip, and it was one of those where I had to buy a one-way ticket to catch up with another, you know, trek of leg of a, of, and it was a propeller plane again, but that's a long flight. It was like, it was the longest propeller, like usually the puddle jumpers, it's like a Two 40, hours yeah, tops, 40, maybe. Yeah, this is like two and a half, almost three-hour flight over the mountains, which are, rough. you know, the air. Yeah, so that that was the, the bounciest. It was like being on the rough seas, and oh. I'm like, all right, uh, big sky. There's a big sky out there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to take you I'm anymore. about to paint it with my vomit. <laughs> oh, God. So are you like, uh, you know, super... Uh executive platinum now million no, miles or no the last year i didn't fly enough i was i was gold status on american for a bunch of years and one year i hit platinum but I, I never hit executive platinum on any of them but yeah that year i hit platinum was so nice the bonus miles the way they kiss your ass when you check in and you go stand by and you you know pretty much for certain you're gonna get uh, on that thing yeah getting oh. that business class especially for like the new york to la flights that business yeah, class on the 767s is better than first class on most other you know most <laughs> other flights oh and i feel like such a you know especially when 
<laughs> when I had shaggier hair and like I would dress like a skater. It's fun to like yeah. sit in business class next, next to the guy in the suit, <laughs> yeah, making you know million dollar business calls. Yeah, you're like, hey, have you seen my guitar, man? <laughs> There's room up there in those in those sections, in those luggage sections for your guitar. Oh, definitely, yeah. Oh, those are sweet. <laughs> so, where can people find you? Where can they uh, see where you're playing next? Uh, my website is robprocks.com. Uh, R O C K S, that is. And uh, that's all one word. If you don't think I rock, it's Rob Prox. It'll go to the same <laughs> site. And I'm also on Twitter, Rob P. Rocks on Twitter. So, come by and say hello. And check out your YouTube video, which is now up to how many hits? Oh, the Pocket Bell Rant is over 10 million. I think it's 10.7 million uh, hits out there. So, Every yeah. band geek in the world has seen this. <laughs> yes. So, that's great. So, Rob Paravonian, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. Rock and roll.